What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Booby Gibson. I'm Josh Cruz. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champion. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chicken. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your labrum and you can go on the You know what? (laughs) It's only a game. Why do you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hard on pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer to the best of the Akron Zips. Now it's time for SPT. Good morning, Akron and everywhere beyond. This is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. I am your host, Logan Congrove, and this is Sports Power Talk right here on WZIP 88.1. I have two incredible analysts joining me on this fine Sunday morning here from the University of Akron. Joining me on this side of the desk, it's Logan Squared. It's Mr. Logan Buchanan. Hello, hello. How you doing this morning? I'm doing all right, you know? Good, good. Not too bad. Not too, not too bad. Good. On the other side of the desk, I have our NFL historian and NFL widow and every weird sports term you can possibly think of. It's Mr. Marcus Anderson. Good morning, Akron. <laughs> How's it going? Marcus, we got a lot to talk about today, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Guys, we have a jam-packed show for you today. We have... A ton of Hall of Fame content. It is Pro Football Hall of Fame weekend here in Canton. You will not want to miss it. And then we'll talk a little bit about the Jose Ramirez bra on the side. But before we do any of that, we are going to take a call-in from our own Lana Sal, who is live from the Canton Civic Center at the Hall of Fame roundtable. Here she is live answering the phone. Lana, can you hear me? Yep. Lana, let the listeners know what you are doing in Canton today for Hall of Fame weekend. Thanks, Logan. People are starting to gather already here at the Canton Memorial Civic Center for the Enshrinees Roundtable, which is where (laughs) members of the class of 2023 Enshrinees will share some stories and memories of their careers. We may also get a chance to hear some questions asked from the audience, so be sure to stay tuned here on WZIP 88.1 FM and follow at WZIP Sports on Twitter for live coverage. Thank you so much, Lana. Lana, before I let you go, what are you excited for today? What can the listeners expect? Who are you expecting to hear from that you think our listeners would be most interested in? Most interested, I definitely think, is Joe Thomas, of course, Cleveland Brown legend. Um, really excited for what he's going to have to share with all of us. And um, it's the event's going to start at noon for everyone, so be sure to stay tuned at WVIP Sports on Twitter. And going to be really excited. 
Beautiful. And Lana, before I let you go, what is the vibe like in Canton? How is it at Hall of Fame weekend for maybe our listeners that haven't experienced this before? Yeah, it's really exciting. There's there's a lot of people here. I was driving already, and there were people coming from like Colorado. I mean, a lot. It's really exciting. So many people coming from a whole bunch of different places. So it's really awesome that this event brings um, some exposure to Ohio, and uh, it's really exciting. Absolutely, Lana. Thank you so much for calling in, and I'm sure we'll hear from you shortly. Yep. And that was WZIP field reporter Lana Sow, who is live from the Canton Civic Center. And for those of you who aren't aware of what she's doing today, Lana is at the Enshrinees Roundtable, which, like she mentioned, she gets to talk to and hear stories from all of the inductees from this weekend. But before we get to any of that, I think I should throw it to Mr. Marcus Anderson first, who was live on scene yesterday with Mr. Mitch Bates, another WZIP sports reporter at Hall of Fame weekend, Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony. Marcus, how was it? Let the listeners know. how. What was it like to be in Canton speaking to all these people and hearing from these enshrinees? Well, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful sight to see. It, it, even some non-Hall of Fame players was there. Like, I ran to Doug Williams. He was there. Okay. And it was just a sight to see, like, Dan, Dan Marino, Payne May be in the same place. But hearing from, like, the new inductees, especially players that you grew up loving and watching, like Rondé Barber, Darrell Reeves, my favorite, my, one of my favorite players, my favorite player, DeMarcus Ware, Joe Thomas. I mean, it was great. And then people coming from all over the country, from East Coast to West Coast, come together just as witness the new inductees for the class of 2023 in the Bound, Canton, Ohio. Absolutely. Logan, what would you say is most interesting for you about Hall of Fame weekend? I know you're more of a casual football fan, unlike yeah. Marcus, who's a total all-out historian. Let's hear from more of the casual side. Say you're just a person from Ohio that's just checking it out as a fan. What would interest you? What what excites you about Hall of Fame weekend? I mean, it's just the overall vibe, really. Uh, the, the biggest thing about Cleveland when it comes to sports is how passionate our fans are. I mean, we've seen it with uh, Guardians fans, Cavs fans, especially Browns fans. Mm-hmm. All of them are diehards. They stick with them through the hard times and through the great times. But with Hall of Fame, I mean, just not even being there in person, but watching at home, you can feel how passionate everybody is from the players to the fans to the actual Hall of Famers. All of them just love that sport and love everything that comes with that sport. Absolutely. Marcus, like I mentioned, you were on scene when you were talking to the fans, walking around, what jerseys did you see the most? Of course, Cleveland Browns. Of course, because Joe Thomas. But outside of the Cleveland Browns, what you're a huge jersey guy. What oh, yeah. jerseys did you see the most? Uh, I, I know saw, our, our fans are listening. Uh, I, I saw a Joe Klecko jersey. He's a New York Jets really? fan. Even the biggest New York Jets fan of them all, Fireman Ed, was there. Wow. If you don't Fireman Ed, he's the biggest Jets fan who has ever lived. He always come to almost every Jets game with the New York Jets Fireman hat. And just, he started the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. <laughs> really? He's the one who created that chant. <laughs> Would you say that, did this, have you been to any other Hall of Fame weekends, I should ask? One well, last year. Okay. What would you say the difference was this year? Like, with Joe Thomas being inducted, did it feel more of like a, a homey type of environment, or was it bigger? What, what would you say was different from other experiences in the past? Uh, I'll say 
It was just the same as last year when Duval County was there to witness Tony Baselli get in. It was just like that. But with, with the dog pound being there for Joe Thomas, it was just like that type of atmosphere. Absolutely. So let's get into some of these Hall of Famers. There were nine Hall of Fame enshrinees this year. Let's start off with probably the most long overdue one, which is Chuck Howley. He played for the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys from a span of 1958 to 1973. Marcus, talk a little bit about what you heard from Chuck Howley and maybe what tell his story a little bit to our listeners. Well, Chuck Howley is just... The only thing I knew about Chuck Howley is that he's the only player in NFL history to be, to win a Super Bowl MVP on the losing team mm-hmm. and still is. The thing about it, I think Jalen Hurst won Super Bowl MVP last year. But anyways, Chuck Howley is just... He's been one of the best linebackers of the 60s and 70s, and he was the one who created the doomsday defense. He was responsible for the doomsday defense of the Dallas Cowboys during the 70s. He's the one that got that defense going and helped them become serious contenders in a serious dynasty during the 1970s, a team to reckon with during that time. Absolutely. And I'll toss this question over to you guys. With people like Chuck Howley, who have to wait so long, why is it that guys like Chuck Howley wait so long to get into the Hall of Fame when we have guys like Darrell Rivas, Joe Thomas, DeMarcus Ware who are getting in on their first cycle? What is it that takes so long for guys like Chuck Howley to get in? Uh, it's there so many other guys like him, like Chuck Howley, including Ken Riley, who's still waiting waiting on their time for a curtain call or a gold jacket call. And it's just like sometimes can you really blame these kids for not knowing who these players are? No, I mean, you all not. blame the Hall of Fame committee and these football experts for not giving them enough recognition for gold jacket worthiness. You got to blame those guys. For yeah. Sure. Uh, we, we actually touched on this when discussing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Corey on the Music Mixdown podcast, how... It gets to a certain point where amazing artists or uh, players get overshadowed for so many years. And then it gets to the point where a lot of the people who are looking at this, like who should go in the Hall of Fame, aren't really thinking about these older players. They're looking more at some recenter players. So their shine just gets even lower and lower to the point where they either get snubbed the whole career, the rest of it, no matter what, or they get in very, very late. Um, But... As I always say, it's better late than never. Yeah, like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, speaking of that, like the spinners are just now getting inducted. Yeah. The spinners, like, I thought they'd <laughs> been in there. Like. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, it's, it's insane to see. And it's just a product of their time. I mean, especially back then when you had so many good players, yeah. uh, especially now when you have so many good players, a lot of them are going to fall to the wayside a little bit. And then as the years go on, all these guys who are looking at who should go in the Hall of Fame aren't thinking about these older players. I know, right? Absolutely. So, Marcus, you were there in person. What did you hear from Chuck Halley in his speech that was notable? What What was your favorite thing that Chuck Halley had to say, maybe on his, his long wait, his time in the NFL? What stuck out to you about Chuck Halley's speech? Well, his son was there to present the speech and talk right. with Chuck Halley. And is this like... The journey he came in, like, had to work at a gas station. I even met another Cowboys fan who's a huge Chuck Howley fan. And it's just that his journey was similar to Johnny Unitas' journey to the NFL, how he had to go from go from the bottom to the top just to get to where he was and just had to work his butt off just to get recognized and come from West Virginia, get dropped by the Bears, become a star for the Cowboys, and 
just shows you that perseverance is the most po- one of the most powerful things in the world. Absolutely. Our next Hall of Famer, as you mentioned before, apparently there was a lot of jerseys with him there, was Joe Klecko. He played for the Jets mainly in the Colts for one season. From a span of 1977 to 1988, he is our second inductee of the day. Marcus, what did you hear from Joe Klecko, or the Joe Klecko fans, apparently, that stuck out to you? Well, I was talking to a couple Jets fans because I, I, I knew about Joe Klecko. I knew how good he was, but I didn't know how great he was. And they told me, like, and they told me like, Joe Klecko was Aaron Donald of the 1980s. <laughs> and then you, and then it gives you a clear idea of how good he really was. And then you pull up the, his tape of the things he did on the football field. Like, wow, he really was that good. Like, he on the tape, swinging around quarterbacks, swinging around ball carriers, even swinging around the offensive linemen. And being an offensive lineman during that time, having to block Joe Klecko, I mean, not only you couldn't block him, you didn't want to block him because he was going to embarrass you every snap, no matter what. You could be, the, I don't care if you're John Hanna, Anthony Munoz. Anthony Munoz himself said that, He's that Joe Klecko was one of the three toughest defensive linemen that he ever had to block. I mean, that's how serious of a great football player Joe Klecko was. He was just a bomb away his position. Absolutely. Joe Klecko was an NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1981, a two-time first-team All-Pro 1981 and 1985, second-team All-Pro in 1983, a four-time Pro Bowler 1981, 83, and 85. He was the NFL Sacks Leader in 1981. He won the George Hallis Award in 1982. He is in the Jets' ring of honor, and his number 73 is retired by the Jets. Marcus, lots of great accolades for Joe Klecko. Like you mentioned, a dominant player. Lots of players spoke very highly of him. His number 73 is retired by the Jets. What do you think, what what does this mean for you personally to have, to, when there's a guy that has their number retired in the NFL, which I, I personally think is much more difficult due to the fact that there's, there's 82 players on a roster, to sort of retire a number is, is pretty difficult. That mean you you did something great. I mean, it's better to be recognized and not be recognized at all. Honestly, absolutely. Our next Hall of Famer is Mr. Ken Riley. He played for the Bengals from 1969 until 1983. We're not big Bengals guys up here in mm-hmm. Cleveland, Ohio, Akron, Ohio area. But much respect to Mr. Ken Riley, Marcus. What stood what stood out to you about Ken Riley's speech? Well, what stood out to me about Ken Riley's speech is that. How great of a father he was! I uh, hear from his own son, Michael Riley, and Mike Riley, and just talk about the night he had to go, th- the night he had to go through, the the things Ken Riley did for his own kids, and the things he did for his own family. A great football player was even a better young, a better man, honestly. Absolutely. You spoke to a Ken Riley fan, if I understand that correctly. Oh, yeah, his college teammate. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that speech. Let's hear from you about what did Ken Riley's college teammate have to say about his time? Well, it's just that he was at the same time happy. At the same time, was just mad that it took him, it took the Hall of Fame this long to induct Ken Riley in there. I mean, he should have been in there a long time. And I was just talking to him the whole time. Like, it's just a shame, man. Like, telling me that he was a straight-A student at Florida A.M. and that he was a better young man than a football player, just like Mike Riley said about Ken Riley. It was a, it was a great athlete, tough football player, and was just a scary football player to play against. Absolutely. And we actually have audio from your time talking to Ken Riley's college teammate. Right. So here is Marcus Anderson speaking with Ken Riley's college teammates. 
Rose Scholar, Canada, small box of bars. Okay? Thank God. Scholar, 15 years of the band, so two of the Packers, he should have been there a long time ago. Not yeah, after he died. That's a shame. Hey, it is a shame. Now, this is impressive because the Hall of Fame said, like, you have to be at least selected to one Pro Bowl and one All-Pro. And for him to not be selected to a Pro Bowl and still get in the Hall of Fame, it's amazing. Like, do you He's think... He's fourth in interceptions, I think, 64 and 65. Yeah, 65 interceptions. Yeah, four, four. Yeah. Played 15 years. Yeah, now, tell me. Tell me, brother. Now, what makes a Hall of Famer a Hall of Famer? What makes a player go jacket worthy like Cam Wright? First of all, he's a hell of an athlete. He's quick as heck, man. Okay? He had character. He was a great guy. He was a scholar. Because of any problems, he put it on the side of this boy out from uh, West Palm Beach. Okay, he was a, okay? Riley was a straight-A guy, man. Character. Empathy for people. Smart. You name it. He should have been in a long time ago while he was alive. Absolutely. Shame. It's a shame. Notice about why he wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. Now, He's not here to see it. That's a shame. It is, man. That, that's why my dad said, like, the Hall of Fame is starting not to mean nothing because guys like Cam Riley and other players still out there not in the Hall of Fame yet. Now, is the Hall of Fame starting to become meaningless? Don't you no, no, I wouldn't say that. It's great. No, no, I wouldn't go that far. No, no, it's not becoming meaningless. That's the highest achievement. You can have him in the NFL, man. He, he got there, man. He's another Bob Hayes from the same school. Jake Gaither, one of the better coaches in the world, Coach Bobo. Bobby Bowden, that you couldn't touch Jake Gaither part in that room. Bobby Bowden couldn't touch only five miles away. He wasn't allowed to walk by the campus of that six or five, six. Bobby Bowden couldn't carry Jake Gaither's shoes as a coach, as a man. And that was Marcus Anderson talking to Ken Riley's college teammate. What a great interview, Marcus. He had a lot to say, a lot of good things to say about Ken Riley and his time in the NFL. And it is unfortunate that he's not here to see it today. But what did I wanted to elaborate on your comment actually that the the Hall of Fame is becoming meaningless. What what made you take that take? I mean, I, I quite agree. I'm, I remember Deion Sanders, first interview from Deion Sanders saying himself, like he even said it himself. He was like, the Hall of Fame should mean that you're one of the best in the game, that you're it's about you're one of the most important players in the game because of your impact. And it started to become over the years that the Hall of Fame is just like anybody in now. Like, it doesn't take much to become a Hall of Famer. It's like Deion Sanders said. He was like, I played good. I gave you like 10 of good years, or I at least played 10 years. I was spending a long time. It's like, no, it's about if you change the game or not. That's what Deion Sanders is trying to say. I first heard from Deion himself. And I started to agree with that. It's like they, at this point, he's starting to let anybody in. Like last year, I think DeMarcus Ware should have been there last year instead of players like Brian Young. He was a great player, but... I didn't think he was that good enough to be in there. And there's other players, I'm not going to say any names that's in there, that don't think deserve to be in there at all in the first place. Like, that's why other players more deserving are not in there yet. Logan, what's your take on this? Uh, you can really say that about any Hall of Fame, in my opinion, especially uh, when so many of them have been going on for so many years. And you think about 
you know, should we be putting in this guy? Should we be putting in this guy? Does he deserve it? Does he not? Um, there's also some that it's not just about what they did on the field. Uh, sometimes it depends on what they did off the field, you know, with uh, charity events or, you know, maybe they uh, transitioned into a position not actually active in the sport, uh, such as journalism or uh, coaching, stuff like that, uh, that you definitely have to take into consideration. Absolutely. Our next Hall of Famer is head coach Don Coriel. He was the head coach of the Cardinals from 1973 to 1977, and then the the Chargers from 1978 to 1986. Don Coriel also sadly passed away, so his wife was there to make his speech and this is a speech that I did listen to, and I it was very touching. Marcus, what did you take away from Don Coriel's wife's speech? Well, it was a beautiful speech. It told me a lot more about Don Coriel. He was more than just one of the greatest head coaches in NFL history. He was a great father and a great husband. And it's just that I heard Don Coriel in another interview say himself once that I, I love football so much, but I made the decision that I'm not going to die on the football field because I – you know, I like football so much, but life means a lot more, honestly. Absolutely. Marcus, talk a little bit about that, the Cornell offense. Oh, the Air Cornell yeah. offense. I mean, it was a game-changing offense right next to the West Coast offense. And there's like half of the offenses are still running something similar or some that evolved from that Eric Coriel offense. And that same offense, even though the Chargers and Cardinals could win the Super Bowl with that offense under Coriel, it was still powerful and it was influential. Like Joe Gibbs, he was an offensive coordinator during those years with Don Coriel. He won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks for the Washington Redskins during the time. And that tells you something. And the Rams in 1999 under Mike Marks, Won the, won the Super Bowl in 1999 with that same exact offense. Mike Marks took that offense with him to St. Louis, making them the greatest show on turf. I mean, is that much of a, it was that much of a game-changing offense for the entire NFL. It spoke volumes. Absolutely. Marcus, what do you think the difference between getting inducted as a coach? Actually, this question can really go to either of you. What do you think the difference of getting inducted as a coach and a player is, and why... Why does it take, again, why is it a little bit different for coaches to get recognition over these players? Well, it's just, I think the difference is, I don't see that much of a difference. I mean, coaches and players take the same type of impact into a game. I mean, even though coaches, they don't, they don't play the game, they just stay on the sidelines. Same things with general managers. I mean, they put teams together. And they put greatness together. I mean, they bring the same type of impact into the game. People like Jerry Jones, people like Tex Stram, the owners, and people like Art Rooney. You even count Art Rooney and guys like Burt Bell and people like that. They all bring the same kind of impact into the game and the reason why this game remains the greatest game in the world. Uh, I think it's uh, looking at it from a more casual point of view, the coaches have a little bit harder time getting recognition because for a casual viewer, they're not paying that much attention to the sidelines, I, I, I guess, uh, or what goes on behind the scenes. They're more focused on, you know, who's getting the most sacks, who's getting the most passing yards, uh, who's hitting that game-winning touchdown. They're not really looking at who's the one actually calling the plays and who's the one who's training these guys. Uh, so the coaches for, I mean, honestly, the vast majority of NFL consumers – 
probably don't get as much recognition as they should. Absolutely. Our next Hall of Famer is Rondé Barber. He played his entire 16-year career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from a span of 1997 until 2012. Marcus, what stuck out to you about Rondé's speech? Well, what stuck me about Rondé's speech is that giving credit to his wife, giving credit to his kids, I mean, a loving father, and Tiki being there, his mom being there. And I remember having his book about him and Tiki Barber. It was like, I love football. It's a children's book. People know what I'm talking about. But it's just that he was a great family man, a better man than a be- than he was as a great football player pretty much. And giving a shout-out to his brother Tiki, who should be in there also. And his mom is great to see. Absolutely. Rondé Barber was the third-round pick in 1997. He won a Super Bowl. He's a three-time first-team All-Pro, 2001, 2004, 2005. Second, two-time second-team All-Pro, 2002 and 2006. Five-time Pro Bowler, 2001, 2004, 2006, and 2008. He was the NFL Interceptions co-leader in 2001. He's on the NFL 2000's All-Decade team. He's in the Tampa Bay Ring of Honor. And his Virginia jersey, number 19, is retired by the University of Virginia. Marcus, a big thing about Rondé Barber Barber is the third-round pick stat. What do you think, what does this mean for a guy, you know, like Tom Brady is a seventh-round pick. Rondé Barber is a third-round pick. What type of story does this tell to future players about their draft position and how it it doesn't really matter? You, You really make your own name in the league. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> it's all about what you gotta do when you get in the league. I mean, Russell Wilson was a third round pick. Uh, it was only Hall of Famers, like half of the Hall of Famers, and it shows that the first round means nothing. I mean, you heard plenty of there's only like maybe just two or three players that was drafted number one overall that is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Bruce Smith, Peyton Manning, who well, there's actually Leroy Selman too, but other than that. It shows that it's all about what you bring to the game, what you bring to the table. I mean, you can put labels and all, but it's all about what you got inside yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And Marcus, Rondé Barber, obviously, he spoke a lot about his brother Tiki. What what do you – having an identical twin, is how how competitive – he talked about it. How competitive was life that he say it was with Tiki growing up? Oh, he just said that – he always wanted to be better. He always wanted to be the best brother, pretty much, honestly. And it's not only him. It's just not only with his brother, but it felt like he was against – he had a me-against-the-world mentality against everybody because he was, like, facing the odds everywhere he went, whether he was playing football or whatnot. It's just like he always felt like he was facing the odds. Absolutely. Guys, that is going to take us into our first break of the show. When we come back, we have a few more Hall of Famers to discuss, as well as some other fun little things that you will not want to miss. So stick with us right here on Sports Power Talk. Welcome back to Sports Power Talk on WZIP. Once again, my name is Logan Congrove. I am your host for this Hall of Fame weekend show here on Z88. Joining me today are two fantastic analysts. On my left, it is Mr. Logan Buchanan. Hello. And on my right, NFL historian, Mr. Marcus Anderson. Back at it. Guys, we... (laughs) Nice and short, Marcus. Nice and short. (laughs) Guys, we have a few more Hall of Famers to touch on before we get into some other cool stuff that we have planned for you. Starting off with 
Darrell Rivas. This one is probably one of the bigger names of this class. Obviously, he played for the New York Jets from 2007 to 2012, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2013, the Patriots in 2014, where he won a Super Bowl, and the Jets again in 2015 and 2016, and then finished his career one year with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2017. Marcus, you talked a lot about how great Darrell Rivas' speech was. Talk about what you heard from him that listeners would want to know. Well, it's just that I remember... I remember Darrell Rivas during his speech telling this one story. I bet you everybody as a kid probably had this kind of moment in their lives at some point. But he talked about how he would come home some night. He came home one night with his dad, and they always look at this. There was this big house at the end, at the end of their street that where they lived at Aliquippa, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And... One night, his dad just stopped him as he was as he was staring down at that house. He was like, he was like, "Hey, Darrell, you want to live in a house like that someday?" And then Darrell was like, "Yes." And then from there on, from there on out, that's his, that what inspired Darrell Reeves. That's what lit the fire inside Darrell Reeves. Just become great so he could get a house like that. I bet you everybody as a kid probably had a moment like that in their life. That is. That actually inspired them. I think that you get to. I think every one of the greats or Hall of Famers have a story like that to where, you know, if they were, you know, hard, long nights in the gym, practice is just destroying them, sweat beating down their brow. They think back to that moment, and that's what pushes them to become a Hall of Famer, to be great. I I 100% agree with you that. Uh, the majority of people have that story, but the greats are the ones that use those stories to oh, yeah, like manifest their success. Absolutely. Darrell Rivas was a four-time first-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler, NFL 2010's All-Decade team, and he's in the New York Jets' ring of honor. Marcus, Rivas Island is a big key to the Darrell Rivas story, and he mentioned in his speech that what Kobe is, or what Jordan was to Kobe, is what Deion Sanders was to Revis Island. Elaborate a little bit on that analogy for the listeners that might not understand that. Oh, it's very simple to understand. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as Michael Jordan inspired everybody. I mean, when Michael Jordan was playing basketball, everybody's watching. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. LeBron wanted to be like Mike. Kobe wanted to be like Mike, and even Shaq wanted to be like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. And just like with Deion Sanders, everybody wanted to be like Prime. And De- and Darrell Reeves, he wanted to be like Prime, or at least better than Prime. And that's what that's what analogy is, broke it down. So let's put this into a, a little debate here. Prime or Darrell Reeves? Still Prime. Still Deion Sanders, yeah. What differentiates the two? I mean, as a covered corner, though, as a, is this is quite interesting because I I was talking to another Jets fan about this. Like among all the greatest deep cornerbacks in NFL history, where is Darrell Reeves ranked? And he's always number two, no matter what. Deion Sanders is always number one. But it's a tight race. It's like a horse race, pretty much. They're neck to neck, you could say. Because Darrell Reeves, because I was actually you actually watched Darrell Reeves. I grew up watching Darrell Reeves and how he became my favorite player to watch. And just the way he will shut down your best receivers. He was checking the Randy Mosses, the Terrell Owens. The way he'll limit receivers to just either no catches for for a game became like a common thing with him. So with Deion Sanders, 
and he was checking Jerry Rice and like Michael Irvin, Chris Carter. Them it's always the Will Reeves. I had to check Larry F- guys like Larry Fitzgerald, AJ Green, and it's like at this point, this is why as sometimes you don't. Know, you don't like to play the who's better than who game at this point because it's like it's not fair. You just like to admit that they was all great. They was both great pretty much because this is like a debate that is going to take you all day or maybe forever to try to get to the bottom of. You know, Marcus, when you say your favorite player, I know that's a very loose term because I don't believe that you actually have a favorite player. He really was my favorite player. Okay. Five minutes, and then he started watching five minutes, team, and five minutes, and five minutes until I say the next Hall of Famer, then that becomes your favorite. Player, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I was a huge Darrell Vivas fan. I loved Darrell Vivas. Like. <laughs> Revis Island. Marcus, if he really is your favorite player, what is your favorite Darrell Revis memory that you can pinpoint? Oh, it's 2009 season. His entire 2009 season. It was probably the best season by any cornerback in NFL history, I'll say. Really? Yeah, definitely. If you, I, wa- I watched that entire season. I mean. So were you a Jets fan at the time or just a Darrell Rivas fan? Oh, just a Darrell Rivas fan. So you at one point were a Jets fan, a Buccaneers fan, a Patriots fan, a Jets fan again, and then a Chiefs fan? No, no. I mean, because oh, okay. like oh. 20, 2014 was the only year I became a Patriots fan because of Darrell Rivas. I love Darrell Reeves. That's 2014, the year the Patriots won a Super Bowl. Marcus that's, Anderson that's, became a Patriot. Yes, <laughs> yes that's proof to you. That's, so that's proof to you that I was a serious Darrell Reeves fan. I was the only because that was the only year I was rooting for the Patriots. Okay, all right, Marcus, I'll give it to <laughs> that's you. That's proof. I'll give it to you. I, you are, you're a big NFL guy, so I'll give it to you. I will. I'll leave you alone on that one. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, and that it wasn't just a I love Tom Brady bandwagon thing that you wouldn't watch the Patriots that year. But, hey, it's okay, Marcus. I'll give it to you. <laughs> Our next Hall of Famer is Zach Thomas. He played for the Miami Dolphins from 1996-2007, Dallas Cowboys in 2008, and then finished with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2009, but was only an off-season player for the Chiefs, never actually made an appearance. Marcus, Zach Thomas, obviously a big deal. He was a fifth-round pick, which is part of his story that he talked about in his introduction video that – when uh, about Jimmy Johnson, that Jimmy Johnson made him work. Jimmy Johnson made, basically gave him his opportunity, and he never let it go. Right. What did you hear from Zach Thomas that really stuck out to you? Well, it's just that, well, of course, there was this story about him getting run over by a truck. I mean, if you've seen Pet Cemetery, that, tr- that truck scene, you know what I'm talking about. But what saved him was, while he was getting run over by a truck, he was on grass. So that's the only thing that saved him. That's the only reason why he was still alive today. Because if, if he was on the concrete getting run over by a truck, he he's probably would be here. But anyways, this is that playing under Jimmy Johnson, his first head coach. I remember him first coming into the league and knowing how short he was as a linebacker, 5'11", like, as a rookie, they called him Fred Flintstone. Him and Joe, <laughs> him, him and a teammate Joe Izzo, who he gave a shout out to his speech as well, is that they called they called him and Bar- Barney and Fred Flintstone. That's what they called him all rookie season. And like, but yeah, Zach Thomas is just that he was a great, he was an inter, probably one of the most interesting stories from any Hall of Famer in the Hall of in Hall of Fame history. I'll say from his speech. Yeah, absolutely. And he mentioned how difficult it is to be a short linebacker. I think he also mentioned there's only four, I believe, that four Hall of Famers that are 
at linebacker that were his height. Is that probably is no. that correct? Yeah, probably. That that's truly incredible to me. Yeah. That's probably the most interesting part about Zach Thomas's story. Oh yeah, definitely. And also hearing his speech, it's like the only speech that had me teary eyed because at the end, only because at the end, gave a shout out to Junior Seau, who is not here with us longer. You know, I watched his thirty for thirty story. It's a real sad story. May he rest in peace. And for him to give a shout out to his best friend, his teammate. His role, mo- his NFL role model growing up is almost brought tears down from my eyes. Pretty much, I'll say. Was uh, Zach Thomas your favorite player too? Yeah, were you? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I tell you, I was a huge Ravens fan. I tell. <laughs> okay, until we get to the next Hall of Fame. Oh my god, <laughs> Marcus, I'm just messing with you. It's easy to mess with you about that stuff. Uh, Zach Thomas is a five-time first-team All-Pro. He was a two-time second-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL Alumni Linebacker of the Year, two-time NFL Tackles Leader, NFL 2000s All-Decade Team. He was on the PFWA All-Rookie Team in 1996. He's in the Miami Dolphins Honor Roll. And in college, he was a unanimous All-American, second-team All-American. And then he is in the Texas Tech Red Raiders Hall of Fame. He's in the Texas Tech Hall of Fame as a university as well. Marcus... Or Logan, Zach Thomas obviously had an impact, huge impact on short players, short linebackers in the league. If it, if you could ask Zach Thomas one question, what would it be? It'll be, what is, what inspires you, despite you being so short? What inspires you to face the odds and conquer those odds and do what you love to do, and not only do what you love to do, but do it at the best level you can. Absolutely. Our next Hall of Famer is DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus Ware, again, probably one of the more notable ones in this class. DeMarcus Ware played for the Dallas Cowboys as well as the Denver Broncos, and he did win a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos in Peyton Manning's final season. DeMarcus Ware had a lot of good things to say, and we have a little bit of his speech here for you. So here is DeMarcus Ware speaking at his induction. was DeMarcus Ware speaking on his relationship with his father in his induction ceremony speech. Marcus, what did you take away from that when you were when you were recording this speech and heard DeMarcus Ware talk about his relationship with his father? How, what did you take away from it? What well, I took away from it is, first of all, it's a shame that there's many relationships, broken relationships, like between a father and a son or either a parent or a kid out there. And it's hard to believe, but it's true. It's it's hard to believe, and <laughs> and but to take away from this is is that the Marcus where having the courage to forgive his father. It was a beautiful thing. It was it was real beautiful, and 
It almost brought tears to my eyes too. It's honestly and but yeah. Yeah, good to see. yeah, DeMarcus Ware, Super Bowl 50 champion, as I mentioned, with Peyton Manning in his final season. Four-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL Sacks leader, two-time Buckus Award winner, two-time All-Sunbelt in college, and then Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year in 2003 in college as well. An NFL record is, has the most seasons leading the league in sacks with two, and he's tied for that record. DeMarcus Ware, obviously a huge impact on the teams that he played for. Our NFL historian, Mr. Marcus Anderson, if if you could split DeMarcus Ware career into two into two times, would you say he had more of an impact on the Cowboys in his long span with the Cowboys? Or do you think he had more of an impact in his two seasons with the Broncos where they were so dominant? Yeah, more of an impact with the Broncos. Also. Really? Yeah. He was like the best because with the Cowboys, he was the best pass rusher in the entire NFL. Like, there was nobody better at this guy in getting to the quarterback. And I remember one game that we called back in 2009 against the Saints when they was like 11 and old Thursday night football at the Marcus where even Joe Thomas said to himself he, that admit in his old speech, DeMarcus Ware is probably the toughest defender he had to block against because he said he could wreck a game in just one play. Just one play, he could wreck your whole game. And DeMarcus Ware, I remember that night against the Saints, he had the game-winning sack, had two sacks, both sacks for forced fumbles, and and in their perfect season for the Saints, they still went on to win the Super Bowl. But that's how much of an impactful player DeMarcus Ware was. And what Joe Thomas said about DeMarcus Ware was true. He really could wreck... He really did wreck games with just one play. All it took was just one big play for DeMarcus Ware, and that's a Cowboy victory. Absolutely. So our last Hall of Famer, and I saved him for last on purpose, from the Cleveland Browns, number 73, Joe Thomas. Here are Joe Thomas's accolades. Six-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, ten-time Pro Bowler, NFL 2010's All-Decade team, Cleveland Browns ring of honor, Cleveland Browns legend, Outland Trophy winner in college, is a unanimous All-American in college at Wisconsin, and a two-time first-team All-Big Ten. His biggest stat, though, is most consecutive snaps played at 10,363, which is an NFL record. He missed no snaps in his NFL career until he tore his triceps in his, what ended up being his final year. Guys, this is so... That, to me, that's so impressive. Oh, yeah. I think what's even more impressive, uh, this stat that... He joins uh, Dick Butkus, Gail Sayers, Larry Wilson, and Floyd Little as the only Hall of Famers to never make it past regular season football. That's that's insane. I mean, when you when you think about uh, players, we mentioned it a little bit earlier. You're looking at their accolades, what they did on the field, and to never make it past uh, the regular season and still make it into the Hall of Fame, you had to have been impressive. And I mean, yeah, those stats definitely. back them up. Absolutely. Definitely. You know, the thing that sticks out to me the most is actually a story. It didn't have anything to do with his Hall of Fame induction speech, but a story I heard from Joe Thomas one time in an interview that he did was talking about, obviously, the amount of quarterbacks that Joe Thomas played for. The number was 20. The number was 20. 20. That is insane. 20 quarterbacks blocked for. And the story I'm referring to is when the Browns were really bad, which is most years, when they were really bad, though, so low on quarterbacks he said he came out to the field and this guy 
he walks up to the quarterback and says, hi, I'm Joe Thomas. I'll be blocking for you today because he didn't know who he was and he was not the starter until probably 10 minutes before the game. <laughs> that, that's unreal. Imagine imagine going out to a game. On the field. On the field and having to introduce yourself to your quarterback. That quarterback ended up being Josh Johnson, which he did mention in his speech. Oh, yeah, he said, sorry, Josh Johnson. And I was watching this speech with my dad at home. When he said Josh Johnson... We looked at each other and I was like, "Who? Like, <laughs> when did this guy ever start for the Browns?" Josh, Josh. I didn't even I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, or, Josh Johnson, he played for like nine different teams in his entire NFL. Career. I was totally unaware that the Cleveland Browns were one of those teams. Yeah, me too. I I remember him seeing with the Giants, Bengals, Redskins, but I never remember him playing for the Browns. <laughs> I also thought uh, Chris Berman's introduction for him. The multiple jabs at the Cleveland Browns, the you know the sometimes the Cleveland Browns wins are far and far and few in between, and then laughed lots of jokes about the Browns, lots of jokes going around. But when it got to Joe Thomas to speak, he had nothing but great things to say about the fans, say about the city of Cleveland, say about the presence in Ohio that they had in Canton. I can't speak enough about what Joe Thomas means for Cleveland sports, especially because it's been a long time since the Browns have had a Hall of Famer. Marcus, when who is the last Browns Hall of Famer? Do you know off the top of your head? Before Joe Thomas? Oh, before Joe Thomas? I believe it was maybe Paul Warfield, I think, or either Leroy Kelly, I think. Wow. (laughs) See, and that's a testament to how truly bad the Cleveland Browns have been over the years. Oh, no, it was actually Ozzie Newsom. That's right, (laughs) yes. And that, again, is a testament. It's been that long. The Browns moved and came back and still have no Hall of Famers other than Joe Thomas. Yeah. Since and Ozzie he was, was like the first of the revamped Cleaver Browns being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Yes. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a huge testament to Joe Thomas that he played as good as he did throughout oh, all yeah. of those years of just bad seasons, bad yeah, games, but... a always rotating um, QB. The fact that he still played the way he did and went out there just shows not only how passionate he is about football, but how passionate he was for Cleveland football. Yeah, and Stephanie playing at his position. I remember days watching the Browns, like keeping guys like Terrell Suggs, James Harrison, Lamar Woodley off our quarterbacks, mm-hmm. ha- make them have quiet days. It was like showing, wow, he really was one of the greats. And yeah. like, one of just five players in NFL history to go to 10 Pro Bowls in the first 10 seasons. LT, Barry Sanders, Merlin Olsen, and Mel Renfro. And it's like, as, now, a question for y'all guys. Among all the greatest offensive linemen in NFL history, where would you rank Joe Thomas at? Ooh. Top 10? For sure, in my opinion. I wouldn't be able to give you an answer because I was going to ask a question of... If he was on another team during his tenure, would he have had more success? Like, oh, absolutely. Do you I don't think, know, but what? That's how do you define success? I think I rings. You know, would he would he have uh, chips? Like I, it's hard to say if someone was good, especially in a guy like uh, Joe Thomas's position, because if he had some better support around him, could he have been even greater? Or are we looking at him so great because he didn't have anyone around him? That's my question. Uh, I mean, I mean, because at the end of the day, he did his thing. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's a team game. It yeah. takes a whole team to win games and win championships. So 
And that's why that's how my dad never liked it, Joe Thomas, because of like it seemed like he always say things like the reason why we got all these quarterbacks because the old line don't know how to block. It's a, no, that's not the reason. That's just <laughs> Joe Thomas did his thing, Alex Mack did her thing, they did their thing. It's just that the whole team and the bad coaching stats we had over these years is the reason why we couldn't get anywhere. So where would you rank Thomas? I'll rank him top five. Yeah. Top five. You know, it's funny that you mentioned playing another team. That's actually a good transition. After Joe Thomas' speech, it was mentioned that he could have he had the opportunity to sign with the Denver Broncos in twenty sixteen to go play with Peyton Manning, which would have won him a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Do you know what happened for him instead that season? He retired, right? Nope. They, the Broncos went on to win a Super Bowl. Oh yeah. And Joe Thomas went on to win no games. Yeah. Oh and sixteen. So that's to me, he would have rather stay with one team and keep his legacy in Cleveland, than go win a Super Bowl that year. And he endured an entire season with zero wins. And I do have a Deshaun Kaiser jersey. I'm very proud of him. <laughs> I have a Deshaun Kaiser Cleveland Browns jersey. And I remember one story for Joe Thomas, a college story for Joe Thomas at Wisconsin. This is how he met his wife. So he was at, so his wife now then, meeting for the first time, He she had a girlfriend. It, her name is Angie, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, Angie. So he, she, Angie had a girlfriend already, and Joe, when Joe laid his eyes on her for the first time, I forgot where it was at exactly, but anyways, Joe Thomas went. I'm sorry, it's Annie. You close, Annie. 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 When Joe Thomas saw Annie, Annie had a boyfriend already, a boyfriend. So Joe Thomas didn't care. He was like, oh, she's hot. I'm going to just go over there. She's with her boyfriend. He still goes over there. Joe still goes over there and talks to Annie. As a flirtation type of way, he actually asked Annie out in front of her boyfriend at the time. <laughs> what a dog! So that's a, a dog. So that's how they. So that's how both Joe and Annie met for the first time. Annie was still with her boyfriend. I've got the boyfriend's name, but whoever. Well, clearly she did too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a crazy story, man. But. That show you that Joe really had the guts to go over there, not care. Okay, she okay. She, apparently, she has a boyfriend, but I don't care. She's hot. I want to talk to her. <laughs> no wonder he went to the Browns. He's a dog. And He's even, a dog. <laughs> even Joe Thomas telling this story like, yeah, I saw he, I saw Annie have a boyfriend, but I wasn't intimidated by him. It wasn't like, why should I be? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna play a little bit of Joe Thomas's speech here for you guys. Here is Joe Thomas speaking at his induction ceremony. I took the lessons like that and I learned from mom and dad every time I walked onto that field. And I tried to instill them in my teammates to be the best teammate that I possibly could. Dad, thank you for that love and thank you for that example that you set for me. Mom, you taught me to always strive for perfection. Now, growing up, I was able to do my homework and my chores before I could go outside and play. Pretty standard. But you grounded me. I'm still holding against you for an entire semester when I got a C in algebra. <laughs> Who needs algebra when you're going to go play in the NFL? I tried to tell her that back then, but she wouldn't listen. And it was actually a C plus. So, by the way, it doesn't matter. So, it wasn't a full C. I hated it then, but I love it now because that was just a little lesson that you taught me. But it was among a number of crumbs that you gave me growing up that led me to be a perfectionist 
on and off the field and allowed me to go out for ten and a half years and be the best version of myself and the best teammate I could possibly. It was those principles that you taught me at home. And sometimes it was you had to beat me with it a little bit. But it was those lessons that I took at home onto that field. That was Joe Thomas talking about how his parents influenced his career and his time with pro football, college football, growing up. Marcus, let's talk a little bit about the fans, the Cleveland Browns fans who were in attendance. What was it like for them that you noticed to have, because, you know, you're not a Browns fan, you're a wherever Darrell Reeves is playing fan. But <laughs> what, what was it like to see all the Browns fans excited? I saw a dude on TV actually crying. Like had real tears in his eyes, and it wasn't even like Joe. He was. It was not when he was talking about anything sentimental. The dude was genuinely crying because the Cleveland Browns had a Hall of Famer, a, a current Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's that's how serious this town is about football. Man. Imagine, imagine if we won a Super Bowl. You know how many fans are going to be crying All then? Right. <laughs> I'm going to be crying, but it's I won't be alive, All so right. it's not going to matter. <laughs> that, that's I mean that's none unexpected. I mean I remember one game. Monday night game, y'all remember the, it was like the fifty four forty seven game we had with the Ravens, mm-hmm. yeah. If y'all remember that game, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson shootout. At the end of the game, I, there was a camera straight on one family, a grandpa, some like fifty, sixty years old. He's just down to his knees, like just crying, head down and everything. Like he's crying, like somebody just died. Like bro, it's, it's, it's passionate. <laughs> Hey, it's the passion in Cleveland. It's the love. All love. <laughs> do you do you think that the Browns fans are is it really as is, is it really as different as people say? I think it is. As a Browns fan, oh, yeah, I, I do yeah. think it's different. It's different. And it's gotta be so cool that for these people to have the Hall of Fame right here. That's a question I have for you, Marcus. I know Canton's the birthplace of football, but what do you th- what is your what's your take on the Pro Football Hall of Fame being in Canton, Ohio? And do you think do you think these players find it as special as some people? Because everybody says that they love Canton, they love coming to Canton, and I love Canton. Canton's a Canton's a cool city. Canton, we have a lot of listeners right. in Canton. I how how can people, the general public that are coming from all over these inductions, understand the city of Canton and the story behind the Hall of Fame? I mean, just go back to 1920 when the game got started. I mean, it came a long way. The very first game, very first professional football game, being against the Mass, a team, a professional team called Massland, another team called the Can Bulldogs, the Farks. That's where the first game was at. You just go back to then, go back to George Hallis, the father of pro football, and that just shows you that like lines run deep for real. I think it's also just. You know, people from out of state, from out of country, across the country, come over to uh, the Pro Hall of Fame, and they just feel the love and the energy. It's just a different environment. Uh, And and going back on what you said, Logan, the Cleveland fans, I mean, even if you never watched football, you still know stuff and you love stuff about the Browns and Cleveland Browns. Yeah. it's just a love and it's just a passion and once again it's the atmosphere just the pure love of the game love of the players the coaches everything about it everything that comes with it from the hardships to those amazing victories you all kind of get it in one 
location. Yeah, and I think it's better that it's in a place like Canton than a Cleveland, than a New York, than in L.A., some of these bigger towns, because it, it, it feels a little bit more sentimental, you know? It feels oh, a little yeah. bit more uh, down-to-earth and like a celebration, not like an event, a media event. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's going to take us into our next break. When we come back, we have a fun segment planned for you. We're going to be talking about some Hall of Fame snubs. We're going to talk about some other stuff with the Hall of Fame and potentially a few more little tidbits that you won't want to miss. So be sure to stay with us right here on Z88. Welcome back to the second hour of Sports Power Talk on our Hall of Fame edition, Hall of Fame-themed show for the Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony. Once again, I am your host, Logan Congrove. Joining me on the right is Mr. Marcus Anderson. What's up with it? And joining me on the left is Mr. Logan Buchanan. Hello. And we have a fun couple games lined up for this segment for the Hall of Fame, starting off with snub or not. Marcus, you came up with this idea a few days ago. And I decided we're definitely going to do it. So I'm going to go down a list of a few presumed snubs. And I want both of your opinions on snub or not. And if you're passionate about it, tell us why. You ready? Ready to play this game? Yeah, let's go. All right. First snub is Reggie Wayne. He played for the Indianapolis Colts from 2001 to 2014. Reggie Wayne had a storied NFL career, six-time pro pole. Pro, oh. Cannot speak. Matt Permuka, words. He's a six-time Pro Bowler, a Super Bowl champion, and the 2007 NFL receiving yards leader with 1,510. He had eight seasons with at least 1,000 receiving yards. Wayne concluded his 14-year career with the Colts as the all-time leader in games played with 211. He retired as second in Colts history behind Pro Bowler Marvin Harrison in receptions with 1,714 and receiving yards with 14,345. Oh, snub. Snub all the way. Yeah. Yeah, I'd also have to go snub. I mean, just looking at just his stats alone, if you didn't even give a name to it, yeah, that's a snub. Yeah, and most underrated receiver in NFL history, and just the best hands in NFL history. I mean, just pa- the way you just palm a ball, probably the strongest hands in NFL history, I'll say. Absolutely. And the picture I'm looking at of Reggie Wayne on ESPN.com is his hand in Darrell Rivas's face, your favorite player. <laughs> so Rivas Island did not get the best of him that day. Um, Reggie Wayne's a guy I remember like playing Madden. I would always want Madden 10, oh, yeah. specifically oh, Madden, Madden 10. 10. I used to play franchise mode on that game all the time. The old franchise mode. Remember when you could like yeah. sign players? It, there was no like story mode to it. It was just franchise mode, and it was awesome. Reggie Wayne was always on my team. Remember, did you play that as a kid, Marcus? Oh, Madden 10. Oh, Ultimate Team. I do you remember? Do you remember when? you would have to go, like, you would start your team from scratch and you'd have to draft, like, a hundred rounds of people. Oh, I never played the ultimate team. Dude, honestly. it was the best game mode ever. If you're a historian or an old video game player, you should you should get the <laughs> really? game on any console that oh, you can okay. find it on. Give it a try. Next up, Dwight Freeney, defensive end. He played for the Colts from 2002 to 2012. The Chargers in, from 2013 to 2014. The Cardinals in 2014. I mean, the Cardinals in 2015, the Falcons in 2016, the Seahawks in 2017, and the Lions in 2017 as well. Dwight Freeney was a force during his 16-year career in the NFL. He's a seven-time Pro Bowler who appeared in three Super Bowls, including winning one. 
He finished his rookie season with 13 sacks and was tied for the third most by a rookie in individual sacks since first tracked in 1982. Two seasons later, he led the NFL with 16 sacks. Snub or not. Or to, you can also, another answer is too early still. That, too early. Yeah, that's what too I was early. just going to say. I, I would say he's not a snub yet. Yeah. Too early. I would agree. Too early. He, yeah. I think he'll get there one day. And oh, this yeah. is, he's a first el- first year el- eligible this year, along with yes. Julius Peppers mm-hmm. yes. and Andrew Luck. Yeah, Andrew Luck being it. Actually, let's let's deviate really quick because I I do want to ask this question. What is your guys' take on Andrew Luck potentially making the Hall of Fame? He retired early. He was he was great during his couple seasons with the Colts, but I don't I do not think he is deserving of the Hall of Fame. Um, further down the line. You think he gets in ever? I mean, he had he did have that Calvin Johnson like impact on the game while he was still in the game. I don't know. I just feel like he played. He did not play long enough. Like there's, yeah, and, so and he did, never had any real accolades. Yeah, so so did Calvin Johnson. <laughs> but Calvin <laughs> he Johnson got in first ballot. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm definitely a big no on Andrew Luck, but I could be I could be wrong. <clears throat> Next up, Marcus, you are I already know your opinion on this one as soon as I say the name. This name is Roger Craig. San Francisco 49ers from 1983 to 1990, the Raiders in 1991, and Minnesota Vikings from 1992 to 93. Roger Craig was most notably the first player in NFL history with 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving in a season. Only two other players have ever been able to accomplish that feat, which was Marshall Falk in 1999. He is a Hall of Famer. And Christian McCaffrey in 2019. With the 49ers, he won three Super Bowls in 84, 88, and 89 and was the first player to score three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. With the 49ers, he was a first-team All-Pro and a fourth-time Pro Bowler. In 1985, he led the NFL with 92 receptions. He finished his career with 8,189 rushing yards and 56 touchdowns. Oh, snub all the way. I knew you were going to say that. There's one more stat you may not know. This is the most interesting. He played in the NFL 19 seasons. Not one season he missed the playoffs. He was in the playoffs every single season he was in the NFL. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a pretty incredible that, feat. That, that's some everybody wants to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when you think of the 49ers, I mean, he's one of the names that I do think of immediately. I think of Joe Montana. I think of Jerry Rice. I think of Roger Craig. Those are the three that I think okay. of. When I say 49ers, what do you think of Marcus? I think yeah, those guys: Joe Montana, mm-hmm. Jerry Rice, and Steve Young. I'll throw Steve right. Young in there. Even Ronnie Lott. I'll throw Ronnie, Ronnie Lott. Yep. Lots of great 49ers teams. I would agree. Probably a snub for Roger Craig. I mean, Logan. Yeah, I'd definitely say a, a snub. I mean, when you see somebody who has not only as many accolades as he does, but being kind of an innovator of his time, it's kind of disappointing that oh, he's yeah. not in yet. I would say the older the older the player is, the more likely it is for me to call it a snub, if that makes sense. Like, these younger guys, I'll probably say too early. Mm-hmm. The older the guy is, the more likely I am to officially right. call mm-hmm. it a snub. Next up... This is this is a debatable one. Is Devin Hester? He played for the Chicago Bears from 2006 to 2013, the Falcons 2014 to 15, and the Baltimore Ravens and and Seahawks both in 2016 before he retired. 11-year career, setting three NFL records by racking up 20 career non-offensive touchdowns, scoring a four, scoring 14 75-yard touchdowns and 14 punt returns. He earned four Pro Bowl selections and three first-team All-Pro selections and did both in his rookie season. When he made the Super Bowl with Chicago, he opened the game with a 92-yard kick return touchdown and the fastest 
and the fastest and only team in Super Bowl history that has happened. He is a member of the NFL's all-decade team of 2000s and 2010s. I, I'll give it to you guys first, but I have an opinion on this one. I, I think he's a snub. I mean, it might just be a little bit too early, but if he doesn't come in in the next, I'll say, five to eight years, I think it would be a snub. I mean, he, he was a, a league leader five years out of his whole career. That's insane. I mean, that, that that's something to be uh, celebrated towards. Oh, yeah. I'll say snub. He got, he got eligible in 2019, I believe, on the All-Decades, on the anniversary team for the NFL 100. And, like, never before has special teams been so important before David Hesse came into the game. Special teams have never been that important. The, the league has never witnessed a better kick returner than David Hester since David Hester left the game. They have never witnessed a better kick returner than David Hester. That was even as great as David Hester. And there won't be another David Hester. He even said himself that that he is the Michael Jordan a kick returners in the history of the NFL. Well, he and does have the 23. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm going to go – I'll differentiate. I'm going to go too early on this. I don't think he's a snub yet. I'm going to go too early. And I just think the the value of a punt returner and kick returner has been completely devalued by the, by the Hall of Fame voters in the NFL. It's a very important position, but at the same time, if you're up against a guy, I don't know, I'll use – if you're up against a big-name receiver and you're just a punt returner, kick returner, you're probably going to get voted out by yeah. the receiver. And that's not even a discredit to Devin Hester. Devin Hester is a Hall of Famer. I just think it's too early, and this was too loaded of a class for him to put his name in that one. However, if we're talking about big-name receivers that are not in the Hall of Fame yet, this one is a big one, and that is Heinz Ward. He played his whole career with the Steelers from 1998 to 2011. Ward is one of the most recognizable wide receivers in Steelers and NFL history, spending all 14 years with with the Steelers. He has the most reception a thousand receiving yards 12,083 and receiving touchdowns 85 in Steelers franchise history Ward played in Super Bowl the Super Bowl in 2006 where he helped the Steelers defeat the Seahawks and was named Super Bowl MVP for the game he also helped his team win another Super Bowl against the Cardinals in 2009 and Ward was also named to four Pro Bowls for me this is a huge snub and that's coming from a Browns fan I say not only because this because there was much better receivers than him, including in his time. You talk about, like, that's not even in the Hall of Fame, like Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden, Reggie Wayne. You'd put Wes, Anquan Bolden ahead of we, Heinz Ward. Even Wes Walker. Wes Walker. Like, <laughs> you put Wes Walker and Anquan Bolden ahead of Heinz Ward. Absolutely, yes. Why? Because look at the stats. Oh, because I mean, I, no disrespect to Heinz Ward. He was a pretty good receiver, a pretty darn good one. But it was much better receivers than him. Like I said, Steve Smith. Like, why is Steve Smith not in the hall? And he got eligible like back in 2019. He should have been in there first time around. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'd put them ahead of Heinz Ward. Logan, you want to break this tie? Mm, not really. Um, I I don't know. I. I can see it both ways. I mean, I like his his stats. Um, I think a big reason as to why he's maybe not even being looked at for the Hall of Fame is because he's still kind of active in the behind the scenes in coaching. And you know, if if I'm looking at a player who's doing that, I might say let's give him a little bit more time and see if he can develop in uh, both forms. Oh, you yeah, know, okay. a that's good, a fair point. A good on and off the field uh, person. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. He is coaching the XFL. And biggest wide receiver snub played in his time, too, Torrey Holt. Torrey he Holt was on my list. I'm going to mention him here soon. Yeah, yes, uh, I would agree. Is it, that's only because mm-hmm. there was much better receivers during his time. That's, a, that's the reason why. You know, I'm actually going to make this into our Around the Roof for the week. And if, for those of you who don't know, Ooh. Around the Roof is where we bring our debate to you on Twitter at WZIP Sports. So make sure you're following us if you're not. And this question this week is, who is a bigger Hall of Fame snub, Heinz Ward or Steve Smith? And I'm, I'm going to throw this up on Twitter here shortly. We want to hear from you. Marcus's opinion is Steve Smith minus Heinz Ward. Logan, what's yours? Uh, uh, I'm going to go Heinz Ward. Thank you. We gotta we gotta stand against the historian over here. <laughs> Sorry. So again, Sorry. make sure you, Steve Smith, man. <laughs> make sure you follow us on Twitter at WZIP Sports to get your vote in on that poll. As well as we do have hot mic coming up to end our show. I, you will want to get your questions in there at WZIP Sports once again. Make sure you follow us. Our next snub is Robert Mathis. He was a Colts linebacker from 2003 to 2016. The early to mid-2000s Colts have yet another player to make this list. Mathis retired with 44, 54 forced fumbles, the most in NFL history, and as the Colts franchise sack leader with 123 since individual sacks were first tracked in 1982, he was part of the Super Bowl championship team and concluded his career with five Pro Bowls and the winner of the Deacon Jones Award given annually to the regular season sack leader in 2013, registering 19.5 sacks. He also finished that same 2013 season with 10 forced fumbles, Tie with Charles Tillman for most in a single season. Marcus, what is your take on Robert Mathis? I say not. I mean, I can see him. Marcus. I can see him getting to the offering, but he's not first ballot. Like, one knows 20 years down, 20, 30 years down the line. Wow. Guys, you're seeing Ken. I would go. I would go not a snub as well, as much as I don't want to admit that, because I do like Robert Mathis, but. 20 to 30 years, you think? Yeah. One of those guys. Really? Yeah, because it's like him and Dwight Freeney, a sidekick to Dwight. Not really like a sidekick, but a side man. Because sidekick, that's quite disrespectful. <laughs> I mean, <they're> not, <laughs> that's like disrespectful to call somebody a sidekick. But he was a, he was great, but not like first ballot, not even fifth ballot, maybe. Um, fifth ballot. Wow. Logan? I... I'm just not really a big, big fan of this one. You know, I mean, looking at some of our other snubs, uh, even the more recent players I would put above him, I don't think we're looking at 20, 30 years. I mean, maybe 10, 15 max, max. I think he will be coming in soon. Uh, It's, yeah, I mean, it's just not, his, his really good stats are ones that I don't think, are paid attention to a lot. Oh, yeah. um, I, I believe he holds a record with uh, forced fumbles, which you know is huge in the game. But when you're looking at actual records, are you looking at forced fumbles? Are you looking at you know tackles, interceptions, yeah. or you know? Oh, other? Yeah. I mean, the, what makes it easier for me to tell if a player or coach is Hall of Fame worthy, Gold Jacket worthy? Is I ask myself this: Can you try to imagine? what the NFL would be like, what the National Football League would be like if this person was never born, if this mm. person never existed. That's mm-hmm. how I make it easier for yourself. Is that player... That's a good view. Yeah, I like that. Definitely. Is that player... How much... And that tells you how much that player or 
person, coach, GM, really meant to the game of pro mm-hmm. football, and that makes it easy for you whether he's gold jacket worthy or not. Yeah, I would say probably. Right. And can you say that about Robert Mathis? Not really. I mean, dis- yeah, you know what? Despite of the stats and all, but yeah. Marcus, for the first time today, you, you swayed my opinion. <laughs> I would say no, not yet, not a snub. But you did mention this name as a big snub, and that is Torrey Holt, wide receiver for the, for the, at the time, the St. Louis Rams, 1999 through 2008. He spent all but one year of his career with the Rams, spending one year with the Jaguars in 2009. He is the franchise leader in receiving yards with 12,660, receptions with 869, and receiving touchdowns with 74. He trails Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce in all of those categories. With the Rams, he was a seven-time Pro Bowler and a first-team All-Pro in 2003 and led the team in receptions for seven straight seasons from a span of 2002 to 2008. Marcus, you were passionate about this one first, so I'm going to give it over to you. I know your answer, but explain why. All right, snob. I mean, he's the only wide receiver on the 2000s All-Decade team not in the Hall of Fame right now. I mean, there's also Reggie Wayne, too, but still. It's just him and Reggie Wayne, the only players on the 2000s All-Decade team not in the Hall of Fame right now. And he was a big part in the Rams, St. Louis Rams' biggest show on turf. Those offenses would be anywhere without Torrey Holt. I mean, even though there was Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk, Kirk Warner, Orlando Pace, but Torrey Holt was probably the biggest part of that offense, I'll say. I think he's a huge snub, especially looking at he's been a nine-time semifinalist for the Hall of Fame. Definitely. Like, that got, that's got to hurt even Definitely. more. Nine times. I mean, that's got to hurt even like, more. Seriously. And, like, here's another answer. Is him and Julio Jones are the only players in NFL history to have, like, five, five or seven straight 12, 1,400-yard seasons. Mm-hmm. Just him and Julio Jones. That tells you how worthy he is for a gold jacket. It, it, it makes you wonder... Like, who's he getting snubbed for? And are those players actually better than um, Tory? Because I, I don't know, nine times? Nine? That's crazy. That's the, that is near a decade that, that was like of the, snubbed. That was like the rock hall snubbing Janet Jackson three <laughs> times before finally putting her in. Okay, we're sorry for this. We finally got to bring you in. Right, Janet Jackson, folks. Janet folks. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Janet Jackson, y'all. <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> All right, our last our last one for this game before we get into a, a different type of Hall of Fame quiz that I'm going to present to you guys is John Abram, defensive end for the New York Jets 2000-2005, Falcons 2006-2012, and Cardinals 2013-14. Abram had a 15-year career producing 133.5 sacks, 13-month most all-time, which is more than Hall of Famers Claude Humphrey and Howie Long. The five-time Pro Bowler had eight seasons with 10 or more sacks. Marcus, snub too early. Or no? I'll just say too early, honestly. Okay. Logan? Uh, looking at his stats, I don't even know if he's snub-worthy. Like, uh, nothing special about it. I mean, I might, I might have to go actually watch, you know, those yeah. games in that era. But I mean, he, I remember watching him with the Falcons. He was a pretty good player for the Falcons, a pretty good defensive end, even for the Jets, but... That good to be in can can bound? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I I'm not a I'm not huge on this guy. Uh, yeah, I would I would go 
it's either too early or, or not. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't be like my the opinion. Marcus Ware level. Right, and he that's the standard. Good. Yeah. I would say definitely too early or not at all for John Abram. And that's going to do it for our snubs game. We have five minutes left in this segment, which leaves time for a five-minute game. And this is a quiz that I found online. I'm gonna. It oh, comes from boy. How Stuff Works. And the questions go from being very easy <laughs> to not easy at all. So the first question, and if either of you get this wrong, I'm going to turn off your mic and you're going to leave the room right now. And I will probably have to revoke your WZIP Sports membership. Where is the Pro Football Hall of Fame located? Okay. It's in uh, New York, right? It's a- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, get out of my studio. <laughs> the next question is Marcus, you'll know it, but so let, let's let Logan answer first because, again, if Logan gets this wrong, this is another one that even a casual football oh, no. fan should know, and, and we will laugh. We will laugh. Don't. What color is the Hall of Fame jacket? It's gold. Okay. It's a gold jacket. Okay, Logan. Okay. Yeah. Look, for those of you who don't know, Logan is not the biggest football fan on the planet. All right. Who selects the players that are inducted into the Hall of Fame? Is it a committee? Yes. I was going to say, it's not the fans. No, because... And fan voting is dumb. Yeah. So, how many years must a player or coach have been retired before they are eligible for the Hall of Fame? Five years. Yep, you got it. Ooh, this one's tricky. This is definitely not a Logan Buchanan question right here. (sighs) Unless. (laughs) I, I highly doubt this is a Logan Buchanan question here. In what year was the Hall of Fame established? That would be 1963, right? You got it. That was correct. The Hall of Fame was established in 1963. (laughs) I was going to say 67, which is crazy. (laughs) I don't know how I got 67 near me. I was. (laughs) Which college has produced the greatest number of Hall of Famers? I'll give you one. I can give you, you give a guess first. And if you're wrong, I'll give you, I'll give you three options. I'm going to go Texas Tech. Not even close. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> Great. Let's see. Most. Wait, is it USC Trojans? Nope. You want me to give you the three options? Yeah. Alabama, Notre Dame, or Michigan? Oh. Oh. Notre Dame. Notre Dame's your guess. Final guess, Logan? I'm pretty sure it's one of the Michigan ones, so I think Michigan. You're going to go Michigan? Yeah. If it's it was, Alabama. It was Notre Dame. Oh. Notre Dame leads the way with 13 oh, Hall of Fame players nice. as of 2016. That list includes players like Tim Brown, Jerome Bettis, and Joe Montana. I was pretty uh, – Michigan teams. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which of these longtime NFL coaches is not a Hall of Famer? Tom Landry, Chuck Knoll, or Marty, Marty Schottenheimer? Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah. Yep. On average, a coach is inducted into the Hall of Fame every other year. As of 2016, there are 23 inducted coaches, and Marty Schottenheimer is not one of them. Which of these Hall of Fame quarterbacks never won a Super Bowl? Logan, you might. I'm going to give this to you first. Oh, don't answer this, Logan. Because Marcus, don't, don't answer this don't yet. Because I know you know the me. answer. And we'll. Oh. Your hint, Logan, is there's a whole documentary about this. Oh yeah, great. Because I watched that. <laughs> Wonderful. Which of these Hall of Fame quarterbacks has never won a Super Bowl? Your options are Brett Favre, Joe Namath, or Jim Kelly. Can you can you give me the first one? Brett Favre, Joe Namath, or Jim Kelly. Is it Favre? Nope. Okay. Give you one more guess. Namath. Wrong, wrong. Jim Kelly. (laughs) Of course. Joe Namath won the first ever Super Bowl with the Jets. Okay. Brett Favre won one with the Packers. And Jim Kelly lost four straight Super Bowls. They went to four. The Buffalo Bills went to four Super Bowls, and they lost all four of them. 
It's one of there's a, there's a thirty for thirty documentary on it on yeah, ESPN. Four Falls of Buffalo. Four Falls like of Buffalo. Sounds like a loser. <laughs> Man, it's that's one of the most tragic stories of yeah, all time that those same. Bills teams did not win. Yeah, how talented they were! Like, <laughs> yeah. Which school produced Hall of Famers like Marcus Allen, Frank Gifford, and Ronnie Lott? USC. Nope. Alabama. Nope. You want the you want the options? Yeah. South Carolina or Southern? Excuse me. No, you're right, Marcus. Yes, <laughs> I read the I read the question wrong. Why did I say no? Yes, USC produced these Hall of Famers. Which NFL team has the most inductees? Logan, guess first, and then which team? Yes. Oh, induct? Not actually in. Wait, inductees. Which team has the most Hall of Famers? Pro. Which NFL team? Oh, oh, gotcha. Um. Okay, which one's been a long, around a long time? I can give you options, but I want to see if your guess hits first. It's probably Marcus, not you probably going know. to. Um, well, I definitely don't think it's the Browns. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Chargers. Do you want options? Yes, I do. Marcus, you can jump in now that he gave his first guess. Um, Chicago Bears. That, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> the Bears have 32 players in the Hall of Fame currently. Are the Chargers even an option? Al Davis. No, they were not. Okay. Great. Al Davis made it into the Hall of Fame for his accomplishments as what? A quarterback, defensive end, or coach owner? Coach owner. Yep. That was an easy one. Yeah, so easy. (laughs) Ooh, this one's not easy. I don't even think I know the answer to this one. How many players were inducted in the Hall of Fame's first ever class? I can give you numbers, too, if you want. This is a little bit difficult. But, Marcus, if you have a guess first, say it. I have a guess. um, Five? Nope. Logan? One? It, that is one of the options. Oh, is it not the answer? I'll click it. It's not the answer. Oh. But it was one of the options. No, you were closer I'm, than Marcus. A lot of Hall of Fames only yeah. do one. So the other two options are 25 or 17. Oh, wow. Uh, 17. 17 is correct. There were 17 wow. players inducted in the first year. Far That's more crazy. than most years. Are there more offensive linemen or defensive linemen in the Hall of Fame? Defensive. Defensive linemen. There are 44 offensive linemen and 37 defensive linemen. Wow. How, like how many Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals players have been inducted into the Hall? I'll give you numbers for this one. 12, 10, or 2? I'm good. 2. 2 is correct. Whoa. As of 2016... Well, now three with Ken Riley. Mm-hmm. This quiz is a little outdated. But as of 2016, it was Anthony Munoz and Charlie Joyner. And now, as of 2023, add oh. Ken Riley to that list. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jan Stunard was the first player at which position to be named to the Hall of Fame? Offensive tackle, wide receiver, or kicker? Mr. NFL Historian, what Jan is your answer? Stunard? Stun- Sten Rudd. Sten <laughs> what? I can't pronounce it. It's S T E N E R. U.D. Wait, what was the options again? Offensive tackle, kicker, or wide receiver? Offensive tackle? Mm-mm. See a kicker? Yep, you got it. Oh, Logan's yeah! correct answer I of the got day. a question right over Marcus! <laughs> wow. It's just like Buster Douglas or Mike Tyson, 88. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go through a few more of these questions before we head to our final break of the show. Just call me Buster <laughs> What? Wow, okay. To be inducted, a person must receive what percentage of the selection committee's final vote? 
Wait, what was the question again? To be inducted, a person must receive what percentage of the selection committee's final vote? Is it at least 70? It's between 60 or 80. So, which you, you got the middle one. So, which 60 or 80 are your 80. two options? 80? Yeah, I'll go 60. It's 80. Which Green Bay Packers legend, whom the team stadium is named after, was part of the first Hall of Fame class? Oh, Curly Lambeau. Curly Lambeau is correct. Oh, Lambeau. Oh, okay. I knew that one. And we're only going to do a few more of these before we head to our final break of the show. Which of these formal number one overall draft picks is also a Hall of Famer? Drew Bledsoe, Terry Bradshaw, or Bo Jackson? Give this one to Logan first because this is an easier one. It's not. It is not. It should be. What are the, what's the name? Drew Bledsoe, Terry Bradshaw, or Bo Jackson? I've only heard of two of these guys, so that's, that should tell you. Well, that should tell you which one <laughs> is not the answer then. I'm going to go with Bo. Incorrect. Yeah. Marcus, follow-up? Oh, Terry Bradshaw. Yep, you got it. That Drew Bledsoe did nothing in the NFL. Okay. My dad named my named his dog Terry Bradshaw. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question before we head to our final break of the day. This question is: How many NFL teams have no Hall of Fame inductees? You want numbers? Or you want to take a guess first? I think it's one. The Houston Texans. There's two. It's two, five, or eight. Logan. Well, it's two of them. It's two. There are only two. Of the NFL's 32 teams. How's that for Buster? How's that for Buster? (laughs) And the follow-up question is, what are the two teams? Uh, One of them is the Texans. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Texans are... Texans are one of them. What's the other one? And actually, it's incorrect now. I'll give you that. There's one, and you mentioned it earlier in the show. I did? Yep. When I asked... I'll give you the question. When I asked you if the environment was different... Oh, wait. The Denver Broncos? Wait, no. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, Jacksonville That was it until last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. That's going to do it for our game segment of today's show. It's going to wrap up most of our Hall of Fame talk. But in our final segment, we are going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame game that occurred on Tuesday with the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. So stick with us right here on Z88. Welcome back to the final segment of this week's edition of Sports Power Talk. We've talked a lot about the Hall of Fame. We're going to move away from it a little bit. But before we do, I want to reintroduce our guests. Once again, NFL historian and apparently Darrell Rivas' biggest fan, (laughs) Mr. Marcus Anderson. Back at it. (laughs) And on the other side of the desk, everyone's favorite football fan, Mr. Logan Buchanan. Back at it. Wow, you're just a big copier. You're just a big copier today. I got two questions right over Marcus. That means that I am not Buster. I am. I'm like. I'm like the Mike Tyson near Muhammad Ali. All right, we'll put it like that. We'll put it like that. All right. right, right. I'm actually like the Jake Paul to your Muhammad Ali. Uh, Respect. 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 All right. I I don't know about that, but all right. All right. It's gonna be before we before we talk about anything else. I forgot about this the last time I hosted. Alex Henry hosted last week, which thank you again for a great show, Mr. Alex Henry. I did forget about this entirely the last time I hosted, so I'm going to be sure we don't do that now. It is time for Hot Mike. For those of you who don't know, Hot Mike is our segment where you get your chance to get in on our show on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. And we have a lot of questions for something I'm very excited to announce. It it really made my day when I saw it for the first time. For those of you who are frequent listeners of our show, 
We have a listener, formerly known as Jake Murnigo, and he was one point my biggest hater. And now I woke up on a fine Monday morning this week, and the account had been changed. The profile picture is now a picture of me and my new buddy. And the username is L Congrove a great, and he is now Logan Congrove's biggest fan. Jake Murrin, I know you're listening to this later. Here is a on-air handshake for passing the torch. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am taking away your fan. Um, I know formerly known as Jake Murrin, a goat, brought your ego up a lot, but now it's my time. The time is now for Logan Congrove a great. So almost all of our questions come in from Log- L. Congrove, a great Logan Congrove's biggest fan. First question is not a question, but I believe this is the one-year anniversary of Hot Mike. So shout-out to whoever came up with this amazing idea. That was Mr. Jake Murren, and I do believe you're correct. So for those of you who have been listening to this show that long, you're crazy. <laughs> not, nah, not really. We appreciate all of you at listeners. And Jake Murren, great idea. It was Jake Murren's idea for Hot Mike, and it is one of my favorite segments on this show, especially when we have Marcus Anderson on, because you just really never know what's coming when Marcus answers a hot mic question. Next question from El Congro, but great, is first player that comes to mind when I say Milwaukee Brewers? Um, Paul Molitor. Ooh, the Brewers? I'm going to go with Greg Vaughn. Ooh. This is a, kind of a dumb answer, and Marcus, you'll know the movie. Have you seen the movie Mr. 3000? Yeah, I've seen that Bernie Mac. <laughs> That's what comes to mind for me when I think okay. of the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay. What's his name? Stan. What's his last name in the movie? Stan what? I forget. I forgot. Uh, Stan Wilson, is it? Oh, man. I totally forgot. Stan, when I think of the Milwaukee Brewers, I think of Mr. 3000. I think of T-Rex <laughs> Pennebaker. I think Mac. of... Where <laughs> <Well>, you went? <laughs> oh, Bernie Mac. Oh, man. my gosh. By the way, it's a great show. You can watch it on Hulu. <laughs> if you... If you haven't yet, you uh, should. His name Stan Ross. Stan Ross. That's what we remember was. when he, he comes in. He goes, "My name is Stan Ross." <laughs> yeah. Back, man. Who you with <laughs> tonight? <laughs> great, great movie. That's. Bro, you want me, Ross? What? What did you just say? That's what I think of man, when you say Milwaukee no, Brewers is Stan no, Ross and T Rex Pennebaker. Man, I've been watching George Lopez all week. No, now you about maybe watch Bernie Mac once I get home. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can thank you can thank Logan Congrove's biggest fan for that question, Marcus. Tonight. tonight. <laughs> Next question comes up. This. Are you surprised the United States women's national team was eliminated so early? No, not at all. And here's why: because. For those of you who have been following the Women's World Cup, the United States Women's National Team, first of all, to their credit, they're a very young team. And you have an aging Megan Rapinoe who's retiring. Alex Morgan is on a decline. Still a fantastic player, don't get me wrong. But just the attitude around the team, I knew they were not I knew they were not going to make it this year. They're, you know, they had that 0-0 draw versus the Netherlands, and they're celebrating like they just won the World Cup. Carly mm-hmm. Lloyd commented on it on the broadcast that, that that would just never happen in her day. It's mind-blowing that 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 the team celebrates a game like that. And then last night, Megan Rapino kicks a field goal and penalty <laughs> kicks, and, and she laughs. So, no, I'm not surprised at all. They didn't even deserve it. They're a young team. They'll be back. But, I mean, the, the, the little field goal from Megan Rapino and then laughing really, really just grinding my gears. Logan, you watch a little bit of soccer. What's your take yeah, on this one? It, it's really disappointing because a few weeks ago, I mean, hype was real for – uh, the Women's World Cup, especially with uh, how uh, 
I mean, the dominant game we mentioned on Sports Power Talk uh, because of how dominant it was was uh, U.S. versus Mexico, where they blew them out, I believe. And it's just sad looking at, like, the potential that they had just mere weeks a month ago and to get just eliminated one so early, but the way they got eliminated and how they kind of reacted to it, it's really disappointing. It's really sad, and hopefully that they can bounce back uh, next year and we can have a really strong showing uh, next few seasons. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. Hopefully they'll be back, but no. To answer the question, Mm -hmm. I am not surprised at all. Um, I actually have a sounder that's going to answer this this guy's next question. Uh, Would Jose Ramirez beat Jake Paul in a fight and in your own voice? Yes! <laughs> yes, he would. Absolutely. That if For those of you who have not listened to our show, that is Logan Conger with Great's Voice. We have it here in our system. We play it every week during our Hot Mic segment. I love it. It's my favorite sounder of all time. Uh, yes, Jose Ramirez would beat Jake Paul in a fight. We're going to talk about that here in a second, but what's your guys' take on this one? I mean, you just knocked out Tim Anderson. It's not like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I mean. Yes, the answer is yes. Jose just came out swinging. Yeah, so came out swinging. Tim, if you look at it, like, the way Tim Anderson was posting it up, like it was like, dude, what? Why are you post up like it's the nineteen seventies? Like, <laughs> put him up, put him up. <laughs> Jose Ramirez would beat Jake Paul in a fight. Yes. Next question is why is Logan Congreve great? Thank you, I appreciate. It. I've never heard you say those words ever. It makes my it makes me smile. I'm smiling behind the board. Uh, biggest Hall of Fame snub. We talked. We just played a game, right. but you know what? What is your biggest snub? My we biggest, said a lot of names. Pick your biggest. There's a lot of them. My biggest snub is Randy Gratishaw, and he was a first-round pick out of Ohio State, Ohio, and Ohio State Buckeyes, and also played for the Denver Broncos, defensive player of the year in 1978, a linebacker, and was one of the best linebackers around, even better than Jack Lambert. You thought Jack Lambert was great. This was, this was a guy I thought was better than Jack Lambert at this position. And as I say, it's my biggest uh, put Randy Gratishaw in the Hall of Fame. I'm going I'm going with Clay Matthews from the Cleveland Browns. Clay oh, Matthews yes. has been snubbed for so many years. Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews is definitely my biggest snub yeah. for the Hall of Fame. 96 games, no snaps missed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with uh, QB for the Bengals, Ken Anderson. Okay. I think he's... Their all-time leading passer, I think. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, Soon to be broken by Joe Burr. <laughs> you want to try that one again? Joe Burr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it, he's an older player, so I think I think now's the time to, to throw him in. He's not like – I wouldn't even put him in, like, my all-time QBs, but he was a good QB for, uh, for the Bengals and for the time. All right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, most underrated artist right now. Oh, it's good that we have you two on for this show. Most underrated artist right now in music. I'm not sure if you you have been putting any stuff down, but Vince Staples. That's a good one. That is a really good one. People ain't hit the Vince Staples. (laughs) Big Fish Theory? Yeah, definitely. Don't, don't, don't. (laughs) (laughs) North, North. (laughs) Blue Suede. Yeah. Vince Staples is a big one. Logan? Uh, I'm going to go with a personal favorite, uh, BB No Money. We have a couple of his songs in here, uh, but he's looked at as more of a meme artist. His songs are looked at more as joke songs. He had one pop off a few years ago called La La La. Um, 
he's huge with another bigger name, probably more people know him, uh, Young Gravy. He's kind of in that same vein, but uh, Baby No Money's been putting out a lot of more serious tracks. He had a really, really good song called Still back in, I want to say, February or March, and he's just an all-around great artist. He's a young artist. I believe he's on a European uh, tour right now, or might be an Australian tour, uh, but I can't wait for him to come back to the States so that way I can see him live once again. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mine, and you're going to like this one, Logan Congrove, a great that I'm still not used to saying. I keep <laughs> wanting to say Jake Marinicoat. Um Mine is Danny Brown. Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia. I just saw them in concert in Cleveland Ooh, at the Agora. Definitely Danny Brown. Danny Brown's got some great tracks out there. He's got, he's worked with Kendrick Lamar. He's on tour with JPEG right now. Uh, Danny Brown is one of those underrated artists ever, and that will, you will never change my mind on that. <laughs> that is all the questions we have from Jake, I, from L. Congrove, a great. And our last question comes in from DJ Sava, who was on the show before us. He says, you get to have any Hall of Fame quarterback on your team at any point. Who are you picking? Um, I'll pick Pay Manny. Okay. Ooh. I'm going to go with Joe Montana. Okay. Randall Cunningham. Ooh. I'm going Randall Cunningham. I, I don't know. I just – you actually, Marcus, you put uh, me on him. You gave me that jersey, and I was oh, like, yeah. oh, I like Randall Cunningham now. That's going to be my, my answer. Yeah, for Randall, Randall Cunningham. Cunningham, man. With the Kelly Green. Oh, yeah. He was just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's going to do it for Hot Mike, guys. Lots of great questions coming in today. Some good Hall of Fame-oriented ones. So let's stick with the final portion of the Hall of Fame that we haven't talked about, and that is the Hall of Fame game, which was played on Thursday night at the Hall of Fame Stadium between the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. Obviously, none of the big stars really played, but I would say the star of the evening was was DTR for the Browns. Mm-hmm. I think DTR played great. He was 8 for 11 with 82 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Kellen Munn played as well. He started, was 13 for 19, 92 yards, one touchdown, one pick. I really, really liked what I saw from DTR. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting not only for the Browns to pick up this win uh, before the season starts, uh, even if it is just the Hall of Fame game, but to see some of our not as spotlighted talent and to see a guy like uh, DCR just pop off in this game and, and really, I mean, take us from behind and get us the win against the Jets, it, it makes me, I don't even want to say hopeful, but more like eager to see what this season holds for the Cleveland Browns and uh, for our division essentially. Yeah, Yeah, I think what was most impressive about this win was, like, the kind of offense that kind of is way spread out. It's mm. like a run-and-shoot style offense. Like, every play, they ran, like, a four-receiver trip it, with the tight end running down the seam. as like, run-and-shoot type of offense, and that's how both quarterbacks were able to form greatly, like, an A-minus type of level it, performance. It definitely looked more, like, active. Like, yeah, they were definitely. actively doing something mm-hmm. at all times. There wasn't a whole lot of just standing, all right, they're running that way. They were No, the game was moving. It, it, it yeah, felt absolutely. like there was a there was an, a pace, and, like, you know, every player had to do something. It, I, I really want them to play that way during the definitely, season. You know, man. play with something to play for. Play with that active mindset of everything all at once, you have right. to get it done. Like, if these two quarterbacks are able to perform that well in this offense, what what to expect from Deshaun Watson in this mm-hmm. offense? <laughs> right. And and that, that also makes you hopeful because if uh, Watson doesn't end up doing well, 
look at the guys we have. Oh, we yeah, have definitely. nice ones behind our DTR could be a starter on other teams right now. I, I, I would absolutely put that forward. I didn't. I wasn't overly impressed with Kellen Munn, but maybe that's just because I was taken over by DTR's mm. performance. Uh, two people that I was utterly unimpressed with <laughs> from the Cleveland Browns. First off, Cade York. Mm. Cade York is a problem for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care that we picked him in the third round. That actually makes it harder for me to give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. You are a kicker, and I'm not discrediting the kicker position at all. It's difficult. But when your literal one job and you're a third-round pick is to kick and you're missing kicks in the preseason already and missing easy kicks too, you make me nervous. There were multiple games last year that were Cade York's fault. Mm-hmm. The Browns have never had a kicker since Bill Dawson that has been consistent and made their kicks. And Cade York is no exception. If I'm the Cleveland Browns, I am assessing the kicker position immediately while it's still in preseason. I think the kicker position is one that a lot of, I won't say a lot of teams, um, some teams fall into a hole of not putting as much effort towards uh, when it's a very important, I mean, look at uh, the Colts with, I just lost his name, I I have it, I watch him all the time, Um, Pat McAfee, you know, amazing kicker. And he helped the Colts win how many games? I mean, it's disappointing when we look at, especially when the Browns pay attention to certain positions and those positions don't end up well. You know, you're putting all that effort towards and letting other positions fall, not to the wayside, but fall down. But those positions you're focusing on aren't even succeeding. Why not focus your energy towards somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. Another another guy, Marcus, you'll laugh at this one. Another one that really, really unimpressed me was Anthony Schwartz. Anthony Schwartz should not be on an NFL roster. Marcus, you're over there laughing. What's your take on Anthony Schwartz? I don't know why he's still in the league. <laughs> the Browns do not need Anthony Schwartz. So him playing like that does not help his cause to make a roster. He is on the bubble. I kind of wish this team was on uh, hard knocks this year. I really wish I could watch this all unfold. Because Anthony Schwartz would be one of the guys that is like focused on on the mm-hmm. show because they usually focus on somebody that's going to get cut that's what happens when it was the browns it was devin kajust and i would definitely think anthony schwartz would be that guy this year he had one catch for seven yards no touchdown nothing he dropped a bunch of passes i am not on the anthony schwartz hype train at all <laughs> on the other side of the football before we switch topics over to the guardians is the new york jets the Brown, by the way, the Browns did win this game 21-16. to On the other side of the ball, the New York Jets started Zach Wilson at quarterback, who was their first-round pick last year. Now they have Aaron Rodgers, so he is definitely taking a backseat. But what do you make of Zach Wilson, Marcus? Why, what happened with him? Why is he playing in a Hall of Fame game? Not, and Aside from the Aaron Rodgers portion, this guy went from being the starting quarterback to getting benched from Mike White, and now he's playing in the Hall of Fame game. If you're playing in the Hall of Fame game, that's not a good sign. Yeah, definitely. I mean... He's too much of a backyard quarterback. He got the sense of what the NFL is all about. He's trying to be like, trying to be something that you're not. Just play, dude. Like, I remember watching his rookie season. That's why he got benched. And that's, I remember, I'll, I'll never forget when he got benched after that Patriots loss last year. As he's when the press, when the pressure asked him, uh, "Do you, do you in the offense take accountability for the t- for the team losing the game?" And like, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. No, nah, absolutely. But you accounted for just a field goal, 
and under 100 yards of total offense. You don't take account for it. I mean, you're the quarterback of the team. I mean, that just shows that he's not mature. And you just and Zach Cougar Wilson. <laughs> I'm not gonna go into any more detail about that, but it's just that just shows. That just shows, man. Got yeah. nothing else to say. Absolutely. Before we switch topics, uh, last thing on the Hall of Fame game was the lights going out in the stadium. Mm-hmm. There were lots of fans and former players. Pat McAfee talked about it on his podcast, calling for a change in the Hall of Fame game. Lots of people saying that this game is not even worth being played because the teams that play in it have to report early for a training camp and preseason. People get hurt, and stuff like that happens. I'm in disagreement. I think the Hall of Fame game is fine the way it is, and I, I love the tradition of it. But if they were to change it, my thought process would be, Put the Hall of Famers in flag football and make them play. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, Seriously. That would be, be cool. That would be much funner. I would, if the, if they changed it, that's what, we, what I would say to oh, change yeah, it to. That would be much funner. Before we touch on Jose Ramirez, quickly, the NBA announced that we are getting a expansion franchise in Seattle and Las Vegas. I wanted to quickly get your thoughts, Logan, on this and Marcus as a little historian over here. Let's Let's hear what you think on these two teams before we touch on Jose, before we close out our show. Yeah, I mean, the fact that these two teams are... Um, supposedly getting built up and getting uh, built in these cities. One, it's huge for Seattle. Obviously, as, uh, the Supersonics got moved to OKC, and it's kind of been weird because you know Seattle's a big, it's a big town. You know, why don't we have a sports team there? Uh, but then there was the argument of, but Las Vegas is also a bigger town. We should get a sports team there, and the fact that they are. The NBA is kind of compromising and giving us both is huge. I would, I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, I think, um, one, we get some really good history with the Supersonics being in Seattle, especially if they go back to the name of the Supersonics, which I hope they do. Uh, but also Las Vegas. I mean, we've seen Las Vegas making waves in uh, the NHL, NFL, uh, and I believe the uh, WNBA has a team there as well. So it's a huge town. It's a huge market audience. So I, I think it's a very smart decision um, that they go for it. Marcus? I mean, Las Vegas already have a, a hockey team, then a football team, and the Raiders. I mean, why not have a basketball team? I mean, just make it so. I mean, it's a bad choice with it. With the city's reputation being known as Sin City, you know, anything happens. And like they always say, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And a lot of things happen. But it's a big market town, so why not? And Seattle is big hints that the Supersonics are coming back. They've been trying to make this happen for a long, long time. There was even a time, uh, I forgot how long ago, back in 2012, 2013, they, they almost, Sacramento almost had, the Sacramento Supersonics and was always about to kick the Kings out or bring the Kings. <laughs> actually, actually, there was a time where the Kings almost moved from Sacramento to Seattle. It was going to become the Seattle Kings, but Kevin Johnson wasn't going to allow that to happen. And then also, so there's a sense of it happening. It is most likely going to be the Seattle Supersonics once again. Absolutely. Before we close out our show, we are going to go a little bit over, and that's okay because this is worth talking about. Jose Ramirez got into a little scuffle in the sixth inning after sliding into second base into Tim Anderson. It was a clean play, slid right into second base. Nobody really knows what was said, but Jose Ramirez dropped Tim Anderson. There was a list of players that were thrown out of the game, including Emmanuel Clause and Jose Ramirez, obviously. Tim Anderson was thrown out. Jose Ramirez won this fight big time. They actually squared up like it was a real fight. 
The bench is cleared. What did you guys make of this little dugout okay. brawl? The way Tim Anderson posted up, <laughs> kids, if I see you posting up <laughs> like this, like Tim Anderson was, you're watching too much TV because that's not how you post up. That's that's just Tim Anderson watching too much TV thinking that's <laughs> I, how you post up. I, no. I, I don't think either of these two don't post have, up ever, kids. <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't listen to I don't, I don't think either of these two have been in a lot of fights because if you looked at <laughs> Jose Ramirez, I mean, he's throwing punches with his head down. His, right? head, <laughs> his head was tucked in between his chest, and he's throwing wild punches. Right, like, like, how you so- <laughs> I don't know what was said between the two, but it obviously got both of them to the mm. point where they apparently fought for the first time ever in their life because that's not how you fight either way i mean it's 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 bad to say but it's cool seeing a lot of moves at the deadline let's let's give our prediction and then an mlb player of the week really quickly i think we can all pick the same player of the week that's why i didn't really give it much time it's going to all be the same answer i feel like but uh the guardians are trying to pick it up make this push what did you guys make of the guardians moves this past deadline <sighs> i uh, i don't know I mean, I did not like the Syndergaard trade. I did not like the Josh Bell trade. I don't like them either. It's just I'm hoping that we can stop making moves now and the Guardians um, management are, like, finalizing what they want to do because we've been saying it. There's just been too many moves, and now they just probably did the biggest move the whole year with this Josh Bell trade. I don't have high hopes for the rest of the season. That's what I'll say. Marcus? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to make any difference. I mean, Senegar, I mean, you train for a, a bunch of old geezers and <laughs> ain't going nowhere. <laughs> a bunch of old geezers. Uh, all right, guys, before we wrap up our show, it's time for MLB Player of the Week. This is a segment where you can pick any player for any reason to be your Player of the Week. I think this is probably going to be pretty unanimous. Go ahead first. Jose Ramirez. Marcus. Jose Ramirez. And Jose Ramirez is my answer (laughs) as well. Guys, that's going to about do it for this week's edition of Sports Power Talk, our Hall of Fame edition. Thank you so much for tuning in. Marcus, I wanted to personally thank you for all of your coverage and Mitch Bates as well. And for those of you who are following us on Twitter, which you should be if you're listening to this show, or I'm sorry, for those of you who are following us on X, I should say. For those of you who are following us on X, or Twitter, or whatever you want to call it, tweet, tweet. Lana Sal is at the <laughs> Canton Civic Center today covering the Enshrinees Roundtable. You won't want to miss her coverage there. Marcus Anderson and Mitch Bates had a lot of great coverage yesterday if you want to scroll down a little bit and see what came from them out of the enshrinement ceremony. Another great show, guys. Any final thoughts? But Lester Hayes and Randy Grash are in the Hall of Fame 2024. Oh. Uh, Jose Ramirez, take some boxing lessons. <laughs> My final thoughts, I end all the shows that I host with a quote, and this week's quote is, change is inevitable, growth is optional. That came from John C. Maxwell. Once again, follow us on Twitter at WZIP Sports for continued coverage of Hall of Fame weekend, and this has been another great edition of Sports Power Talk. Joining me was Logan Buchanan, Marcus Anderson, and Logan Congrove. Go be great, everybody. Stay listening to WZIP, and we will see you right here, same time, same place, live from the University of Akron next week.